Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the worship we've had thus far. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with those that are here. And we thank you, God, for your word. We know that your word does not come back null and void. So that means that we need your word to go forward, not to be read, not to just be heard, but God, for the spirit to move. So we ask that the spirit of the living God would fall fresh on us, God, and that we would hear from you, learn from you in our hearts would change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So honored to have you all here. So excited for us to continue on in this series through the book of John called Proclaim. One thing to understand, uh, we're thankful for those of you that are uh, out there in uh, Facebook and YouTube world, and for those of you that are here in our studio audience. It really is exciting for us. Last week was our first time in the studio audience. And uh, as I said before, having 40 people here felt like 4,000. And I would say that to you all again, it's, it's different having people here together, right? It's just different. And so again, we're just thankful for you all to be here. I want to remind you to, if you're going to come back, register each week through our app so that that would become a daily practice for you in your worship time. And also be feel, feel free to invite a friend. We do have a few seats available for you. Now, as we continue on this series, uh, we're going to reach a unique moment for someone in their worship experience. Um, You know, when you evaluate the worth of something, it's actually quite unique. Uh, Value can be determined by uh, a blue book, like for instance, for a car or somebody can evaluate a house. But that doesn't mean that it states the same kind of value to you. In other words, the world or uh, there can be standards of evaluation, but you can have a personal evaluation that's much different. I used to work for an insurance company uh, when I lived in Texas, and uh, it was called Insurance Depot. And uh, it was actually quite an interesting place because we were low-budget insurance, so we would always have car accidents, and I was an insurance adjuster. So my job was to take in the claim uh, when somebody got into an accident, and then my job was actually to tell the people how much we would pay out after said accident, all right? And so there was this thing that I learned in my time as an insurance adjuster, and essentially what would happen is, if you had, say, a 2003 Toyota Camry, let's say the value was $4,000 based upon the blue book value, but you got into an accident and the damage was $6,000, well, uh, for the repairs. So then we would tell you uh, that's what we call a total loss. Okay, so a total loss was um, there's no need for you to take this car back. Uh, you need to, we can set it up to go to the repair shop because it's a total loss. And so you're not going to make no money back. So just forget it. So say goodbye to whatever memories you have with this car and it's over. And it was interesting because when we would do that, um, more times than not, someone would say, man, I'm going to miss my car, and they would have it go over to the shop, and they would get money for the parts or something along those lines. 
But every now and then there would be somebody who would look at me and we were on the phone and we're in this conversation. You could kind of feel this moment when they would say, yeah, I still want to keep it. And I, I would say, well, you, don't, you don't understand. You're not making no money back. It's, it's over. Like this is, it's a total loss. Now, I want you to know, total loss don't mean that the car don't move no more, amen? Like the car could still move for some of them, but they would say, no, 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 I, I still want it. I still want the car. And I, and I just couldn't understand it. And then, so one time I told this one guy, I said, hey, the car is a total loss. No need to have it back. He says, oh no, I'll take that car back. I said, okay, sir, well, I'll set up a, a situation, you know, we'll, we'll send you the check and you, you get the car. And, and then he started telling me, you see, you call it a total loss, but you don't know the stories I have with that car. I remember when I put my daughter in the back seat of that car, bringing her for home from the hospital. Well, that car means so much for me. There's no way I'll get rid of it. And in that moment, I realized that what we may consider a total loss, someone still considers great gain. It's because they discovered the value. It wasn't what other people thought. It's what it did for them. It was the, what they experienced. It was discovering and discerned. And in the same way, Paul, the apostle, would say it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And if you look at what was happening at the time, Paul was this great influential person in the Jewish world. He was considered a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. And he gave it all up so that he might gain Christ. He said, all that influence was a distraction from my relationship with Jesus. And all the people in the Jewish world might say, I'm crazy for giving up my prominence and my influence, but that I might gain Christ. You see it as a great loss. I see it as a great gain. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. This is kind of a wild story because a man is walking one day and he sees this field and he sees a treasure in the middle of it. He's like, I hope nobody else saw this treasure. So he covers it up, right? Then he says, you know what? I'm going to sell my house, going to sell everything I have so I can buy the field. While he buys the field, people are thinking to themselves, this man is crazy. Why would you buy an empty field when you have a house? And he's saying, you don't know the treasure that I've seen. You don't know what I've discovered in the middle of that field. And though he looks wild and though he looks crazy, the incredible thing he's discovered is the treasure and the value. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you begin to walk with Jesus, you begin to see him and experience in him and discern the joy and the beauty of a relationship with him. And then you give back to Jesus what you feel like he's given to you. You reflect back to him, his worth, and you love him. And sometimes in your worship, what you give to the Lord, one may say, you're doing too much. You're giving too much. It doesn't take all that. In the story we're about to see, we're going to see a woman who 
actually does something unorthodox. She gives to Jesus her very best, and the entire room considered her crazy. And yet Jesus affirms her worship. In this story, you have Lazarus. We shared last week in John chapter 11, Lazarus actually was raised from the dead. In his raising from the dead, if you go to the latter part of John 11, they seek to kill Jesus. When you go to John 12 and 9, they want to kill Lazarus. It is because the raising of Lazarus that Jesus now has to pretty much hide himself. The raising of Lazarus became a big deal. But it was in this moment that they decided to do a dinner for Jesus. It was most likely over this man, Simon the leper's house. And in having this dinner, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there. And the power of this dinner in commemorating Jesus is in the fact that if Lazarus was their only living male relative, which is what we can understand from the text because we never hear about their father, for Mary and Martha, if Lazarus died, Mary and Martha would be set up for destitute poverty. They would most likely eventually lose their riches, lose their home, and most likely be subject to either prostitution or homelessness. It is with the resurrection of Lazarus that not only did she, he save the life of Lazarus, but he most likely saved the preservation of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha now want to commemorate Jesus in this dinner. They're happy to be alive, and they're happy to have life. John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 reads this way. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, <clears throat> whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Now I want you to hold on to that. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. You have to understand that this verse is understood in other stories. Uh, this story is in Matthew chapter 14. It's also in Mark, uh, Mark 14 and in Matthew 26. It's a similar story. Now, there's a story that's quite like it in Luke, but it's not the same story. That's a whole different story. So to get a panoramic view of this story, you'll look in Matthew and in Mark, and in looking at these stories, we understand that there's a, a setup they have where they're reclining at this table. Most likely, as I said, a gentleman named Simon the leper was most likely there. All the disciples are there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there. The guests are hanging out. They're eating food. It's a regular dinner. This is what they did all the time. Nothing is big about it. But Mary will do something that will change the whole mood. In John chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Mary, therefore. Now, nobody else does anything. Nobody said, hey, it's time to wash some feet. 
Mary thought, now's the time. It's appropriate. I need to do something. No one else told her to do it. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house filled with fragrance of the perfume. I want you to know that John is doing something here. For those of you that are, you study your Bible, I want you to notice what John does. John is using particular words when he says expensive ointment, pure nard. He could have just said perfume. But he wanted to note something. He wanted you to see something. When he says nard, he's talking about a particular root of a perfume of, 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 a, of a particular type of uh, tree. And the nard is the root of the tree. It's the base of the tree. It's where the smell is most pungent and strong, where it would be most expensive. That's the nard. And when he says pure nard, it means that there are no additives. Normally, they would just take a piece of that and they would add other spices to it. But the fact that it's pure nard means it's at root and it's the best. It's the very best you could get. And part of what made this so expensive wasn't just the smell. It was the lengths you would go to get it. Because pure nard of this type was found in northern India. It was something you'd have to get imported in. It tells us of how financially well off this woman is. She's got this pure nard sitting around the house. It's very costly, bought from a distance. And she decides without any prompting to anoint Jesus' feet. When we look in Mark 14 and Matthew 26, it shows that she also anoints his head as well. She pours this perfume on the head of Jesus and on the feet of Jesus. An extravagant gift. This was not typical. If anything, we would find that someone might wash the feet of Jesus. Or they might wash the feet of a house guest. But even then, for a Jew, Washing the feet of someone in your house was figured lowly and destitute. That was the work for the slave, not for the rich woman. Get up off your feet, Mary. Isn't there somebody else that could do that? No. But not only does she wash his feet in this uncommon task, I want you to also note she lets her hair down. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And for a Jewish woman, a respectable woman, a wealthy woman, letting your hair down was a sign that you were most likely open to prostitution or you were available. They would say a woman with loose hair was a loose woman. So the minute she let her hair down, unbound, in public, was a sign she had no morality. 
was a sign that she wasn't thinking about how respectable she could be. And here, hair down, perfume out, the room is filled with this pungent fragrance. Judas says something powerful. Judas Iscariot, verse 4, one of his disciples, he who would betray him, John adds, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He says, this, you, do you understand all the things you could have done with that pure, nard, expensive ointment from northern India? You could have done so much more with it. Now, <laughs> Judas seems like the bad guy. But I want you to know you'd probably agree with him if you were in the room. You have to understand this is uncommon. You don't put perfume on people. That's a custom of the day. No, it wasn't. You just didn't do it. And it was 300 denarii. Scholars say that 300 denarii was most likely somewhere close to $20,000 or $30,000. But what they all have come to a conclusion about is that 300 denarii, whatever region you're in, is a year's worth of salary. Now, I want you to think just for a second. Take Holy Ghost power, right? And I want you to think about your salary, whatever, wherever God has you, amen? Just, I want you to think about your, your salary. Don't think about anybody else. I want you to think about your salary. Think about your salary. Think about a year of your salary. Okay? Think about a year now. Do you have anything in your house that's worth a year's worth of salary? Just think about it. My wife and I, we were talking about this. We're looking at the fridge. We like, that's about a, a thousand. I mean, we, can, I mean, I'm just, understand. Can you think of anything? that would match a year's worth of salary that you could pick up and just give to someone. That's how expensive it was. And when people said, you could have done something with that, everybody in the room, this is what I want to show you. Uh, this is why we have to look at the panoramic view. In other words, when you're studying scripture, when it says a cross-reference, always look it up because it gives you a better view of what's happening in the room because one author is giving their perspective from the moment. But look what Matthew said. Matthew said in Matthew 26, 8, he said, when the disciples, that's plural, y'all, amen, that's everybody. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? In Mark, it says, there were some said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted? So, so Mark flipped it. He says some were quiet, some were talking. It was, it was a mess, right? You see, Judas, he's a traitor in hindsight, but he was profound in the moment. In the moment, everybody was like, ooh, that's a good point. Why, Mary? Why this expensive perfume? It's not a custom. He didn't ask you to do it. Why? Why? 
Would you pour it on his head and his feet? Why? Would you have the scent fill the room? Why would you loosen your hair? What were you thinking about? And I believe, based upon the history of this text, based upon the fact that she knows she would have been destitute, alone, she would have been by herself, she's not sure where she would be without Jesus. All I could think of is all she was thinking about is where she would be without Jesus. So what she did was, in light of this dinner, I've got to show Jesus what he's worth to me. In other words, she thought he was worth it. She, she says, you're worth it. And she looked around, and while everybody's getting fish and bread and wine, she says, I'm going to get my best. What's the best I got? That nard, that, oh man, I only pull this out for good occasions, and she pulls it out. And she gives him his ab, her absolute best. And while everybody says, that's a waste, that's your waste, she says, no, it's my worship. I give him my best. I give him my best. When you serve the living God, when you know what he's done for you, when you consider where you could have been without him, when you think about the times that he's spoken into your life, the times that he's given you visions and dreams, that he's done miracles, that he's given you deep insight. It shouldn't ever take the culture of a room to constitute your worship. We should want to give him our best. It is in doing this that she does something that is so strange, but it's because she was captured by what Jesus had done. If I could see it in my mind's eye, I imagine while everyone is eating, I think she's staring. I think she's just gazing at him. I think she can't take her eyes off him. I think she just kind of got caught up and she's not even eating. She just thinks about Jesus. And in our moment, we look back and we have hindsight, but the disciples were rebuking her. Jesus, Mary, get up. Goodness gracious. Perfume? Who told you to do that? Why'd you take all those risks? I mean, why are you doing this? Nobody told you to do that. You, oh, you felt led. Okay, okay. And Jesus in, Ma in John 12, 7 says, leave her alone. The voice of Jesus broke through all the rebukes and said, leave her alone. I know there's a movie called this, but we got to apply it to the text. There's something about Mary. Amen. There's something about Mary that every time Jesus interacts with this Mary, he always praises her. He's always moved by her. What, what is it about Mary? 
What can we learn from Mary that he praises while disciples are rebuking her? In Luke 10, 39 and 40, we know that there's this incredible dinner that they have for Jesus. And it says, she had a sister called Mary, talking about Martha, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But look, verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Remember earlier, it says that Martha was doing what? Serving. Verse 41 through 42, Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary had boiled her life down to one thing. She felt her life was a response to Jesus. And she was drawn to Jesus. And that in her life, Jesus says she had chosen the right thing. When I gave my life to the Lord, uh, I used to, when we first started the church, I would tell my testimony pretty much almost every Sunday, right? For those of you that were here. And how I used to bounce in the club and I got saved. And part of what happened was the next year, I worked at a turkey plant. And they had a booth that you would go into to check people. And I was a security guard at a turkey plant. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and my job was while people would check in, people would come in from the outside, I would just sign them in. And when people were coming in in the beginning, like for instance at 7 o'clock, that's when you saw everybody. But for the rest of the day, until lunchtime, there was no activity. But I had just given my life to the Lord. And I would read the Bible. And even though I was a preacher's kid, I knew Bible stories, but I didn't know the story of the Bible. I didn't know Jesus personally. And so I started to read the Bible almost for the very first time. And I remember reading the book of 1 John and how it talked about walking in the light. And I would just sit there and I would be captivated by just Jesus. And in that time in my life, do you know what it was about? Just Jesus, turkeys, <laughs> signing people in. It was just Jesus. It was just Jesus and First John and the Spirit of God. The next year, I would go on and I would start going to seminary and now I'm learning Greek. You know what I'm saying? Learning Hebrew. And people would look over to me and say, do you want to be a pastor one day? And I'd say, yes. Well, what do you want? You, you, what, what, kind of si what size church do you want? I don't know. Do you want to start a church? i say, yes. All of a sudden, I found myself in all of these discussions about the next thing. The next thing was getting your degree. And the, and the next thing was now getting a church. And the, and the next thing was growing a church. And the next thing was make sure you got a family. And the next thing was getting a book. And the next thing was making sure that people know who you are. And I found myself one day, Jesus, I heard him whisper in my ears, I want to go back to the booth with you. You've made it about many things. And I want to go back to the booth with you when it was just me and you. 
when it was just me and you, and you would sit there and you would read and you would begin to dream about me and not Christian industry. It was just me and you. And tonight, for those of you that at the sound of my voice, I know that your life might be about many things. But what Mary teaches us is that she chose the good portion. She chose the one thing, the right thing. In much of our lives, we've got to reconfigure our life to be about the one thing, the person and the work of Jesus. What did he do for you? Did he restore you back to the Father? Yes and amen. Did he implant in you the Holy Spirit? Yes and amen. Did he allow the word of God to come alive to you? Yes and amen. That's enough. It's not about many things. It's about the one thing. Mary keeps choosing the one thing. What is it about Mary? Mary keeps choosing that one thing. I want you to be a one thing person. I want you to choose that one thing in the morning. I want you to choose that one thing in the evening. And, now, and what happened is that when I got here to start my church, I realized that I needed people. I ain't had none. And, I, and, and man, you know, when you're when you out here in New York trying to start a church, you're trying to meet people, you know, I, I pretty much, I, have, I almost have like a pickup game. You know what I mean? Like I'd be in a coffee shop, I'm like, yo, you got a church? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, like, you into the word, I do a Bible study. You know what I mean? Like I found myself like trying to get all these conversations and it was totally unsuccessful. And I had no success. And when I heard that voice, my success was his presence. That's what it's about, Mary. I know you have great plans in your life. I know you want great things, family, and you want, you want, you want a very industrious life. That's what the pressure that New York puts on you. But you can be like Mary in New York City. Because New York City is about many things. But I want you to be like Mary, one thing. Mary chose that one thing. The Bible tells us that when we are, Romans 12 talks about giving ourselves over in reasonable service of worship. And we understand that the word worship in English comes from an old English word, worth but meaning worthy or honorable. And so worship actually has the base root in the English form of worth. When you add the suffix ship, worship is actually seeing something in the state of its worth. Consistently seeing the value and worth of something. And I believe Mary teaches us to have this unique skill to tap into the worth of Jesus and allow that to abound in her heart on a day-to-day -day basis. Because every scene we see Mary, she keeps coming back, just Jesus, just Jesus. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. It is in stillness that we experience the beauty of Christ. It is in our attraction to see the fullness of who he is that we're able to drown out the distractions of this world. It is in stillness and in silence, it's in quiet, it's in seeing him. 
We believe theologically that God is omnipresent. If that is true, then his presence is never the issue. It's our presence. God is always fully present. It's us that wander away. We must take the invitation Jesus gives us to see him and to draw into him. And oftentimes, it is not merely in our words of always trying to engage Jesus with words, but sometimes it's just in silence. It's in the quiet space of discovering Jesus that we're able to engage him. You know, this year, Natasha and I will make 18 years married. And, um, you know, when you first meet someone, you talk a lot. Shoot your game. But then, you know, <laughs> you get old. And it's so wild looking at our marriage now. Because much of us, much of what we are now is just sitting in bed and she's on her phone or playing with something. And there's so much quiet between us now. But it's a full silence. Because what we have is a discovery of one another. There's a fullness in how we've engaged one another. Over time, just being in her presence changes me. Well, just come, just... Babe, just come, just, just sit, just come on. Just, I just want to be around you. I ain't got to ask you no questions. It's a full silence. And that came over time. As you gaze at Jesus. And many of you, you have got to learn the art of keeping your attraction to Jesus as the priority of your life and removing the distractions as the fight of your life. That you remove those distractions that get you away from worship and so that you can gaze at the beauty of our God. That you could know him more and just be with him. I was telling my wife the other day, um, when I was in my wilderness period before I married her, <clears throat> I was just blind and did not see. And I was dating this other girl. And uh, we were uh, serving at a church in Maryland. And we drove to a uh, conference in Chicago. And while we drove, we would put on worship, and I, I, I had this audio book I was listening to at the time, and I put, it was a tape cassette, amen, but I put it in at the time, this is about 2001, and, um, and the girl I was dating, she sat in the front seat with me, and the pastor's mother was sitting in the back seat. We were all part of the children's ministry, and so we drove there, and we drove back, and I dropped off my then-girlfriend. And the pastor's mother was the last person for me to drop off. So I'm driving, and I'm going to drop her off. And she just sat, and she had this deep, she had this deep accent. 
And she was just slumped up on the side of the car. And I said, um, you know, ma'am, uh, it's, you, you know, I'm here. You can get out. She said, Jang? I said, yeah. She said, that woman ain't for you. Promise you. Promise you. You know the story I'm talking She said, that, that woman ain't for you. I said, huh? She said, that girl. I said, what? That, that girl. Oh, and I said her name. She said, she not for you. I said, well, we've been dating a while. She said, she said y'all at two different places in the lower. And I said, what do you mean? She said, James, when you put on that worship, I can see you while you drive. I can see how much you enjoy just being around Jesus. She said, she's a Christian. <laughs> but she don't like to worship. See, James, you, you, you like just being around Jesus. She don't like to worship. I broke up the next day. Do you hear me? I broke up the next day. Hallelujah. And I honestly do believe that there is a difference between being a Christian and just loving to be around Jesus. Just a lover of his presence. Because when you love his presence, it's enough. Because of who he's been and what he's done for you. You, you, you begin to establish this kind of beauty because it wasn't the music. It was what Jesus was speaking to me in the music. It wasn't the booth. It wasn't just the Bible. It's the word of God on my heart. It's, I'm having a conversation with Jesus. I'm encountering the living Lord, the presence of God. It's not music. It's not books. It's not conferences. It's Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. And many of us start off that way, but we get distracted. Because it's just Jesus plus a family. It's just Jesus plus a job. It's just Jesus plus an industry. And you have got to continually have that skill that Mary had to make it just about Jesus, just about his presence. And you engage the word of God in its beauty. There's something that Mary did. She brings this perfume in and she sweetens the fragrance of the room. And I believe that there's something about Jesus' presence that is sweet. It's, it is like a perfume. It is like a freshness. Many of us in our time with God, it's stale because you've gotten into the habit of reading, not worshiping. You've gotten into the habit of singing and not encountering. And when we are encountering Jesus, his presence, it's, it's in the ability to engage who God has been to you while at the same time entering into the stillness and focus of knowing God is in the room. Years ago, when I started the campus ministry on my campus, 
There was a girl named Patricia. Now, Patricia and I came into the school together. And because I bounced at the club, I would always let Patricia in for free. She would dance, and we would always say, I'm like, Patricia, you crazy. Then I got saved. <laughs> and I remember Patricia came to my Bible study. And she kind of looked at me, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, we couldn't believe we were both saved. And then, I, and then so we did a retreat, and we had this prayer time. And Patricia got up there and gave her testimony. And Patricia read Isaiah 1.18. She said, come now, let us reason together. But I want to read it like she read it. She said, come now, let us reason together. Say, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as, and she paused. She began to tremble. And she said, white as snow. And then she began to rock. And she began to cry. White as snow. White as snow. And she was not just reading. She was thinking about all that God had done for her. She was thinking about all that he kept her from. She was thinking about all her foolishness, all the nights that she was not thinking of anything about the Lord. And as she began to rock, she would say, white as snow, white as snow. Haven't you done that with a text message? Somebody texts you and you read it again and again and again because it wasn't just about the meaning of the words. It was the meaning of the person. It was the individual. You were engaging and encountering an individual. That is our life. Yeah. It is a life of worship and just pausing and reflecting and being with Jesus. It is not reading. It is worshiping. It is engaging the living God again and again and again. I believe in this text, there's something about Mary we've got to take into account. Her ability to drown out the noise and just come back to Jesus, give her absolute best because of all that's been done for her life. But there's something about Martha too. Martha served. We know from the context of John 11 and Luke 10, Martha was an impressive servant. But Martha was rebuked because Martha's walk with God went from look what I found in Jesus to what can I do for Jesus. She wanted to be impressive for Jesus. She wanted to do many things. And in our walk with God, we can get lost because we want to do many things. We lose track and we lose focus on the simple things. We've got to be careful that we do not fall into the trap of Martha, becoming industrious and doing many, many things without having the heart of Mary and focusing on the one thing. Oh, do great things for God, but don't lose God in doing great things. It's very easy to slip into that trap. But there's not just something about Mary and Martha. There's something about Judas. Verse 6 says, He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. John just blasts him. He's like, he was a thief. He don't care about poor people. But this was hindsight. Yeah. 
Judas was a thief in hindsight. In the room, he was profound. How trusted was Judas? He was over the money. Judas was the most trusted in the room and considered the most profound in the room. He said, 300 denarii? What are you doing? We could do great things for the poor. He sounded philanthropic. And he was a liar and a thief the whole time. What is it about Judas we have to be careful of? Judas was in the inner circle. Judas anticipated a Jesus that was going to take over Jerusalem. Judas anticipated that Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom. That the Jews would take over the Romans and that they would take back their heritage. Now, Judas is disillusioned. His ambitions are gone. And he's decided that if I'm not going to be able to have Jesus put me on top, I might as well make a little money on the side. And so he steals and kills and destroys. Side note, Judas became Judas because he was more passionate about his nation than his savior. He wanted Jesus to storm the capital. Amen. You just put, just do that with what you will. And the thing that the thing that we have to understand is that he was this patriot that was passionate that had the actual voice of Jesus. I'm not saying he, God, let me hear your voice. He was right there. Jesus was right there and there was still a Judas because it's so easy to become nationalistic and for, as opposed to being Christ-centered. He actually had Jesus. There's something about Judas we should be careful about. Paul says it this way. If I give all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It is very possible to live an incredibly fastidious, obedient life, giving all your stuff to the poor, living a vow of poverty. You can move to the city. You can give up all you have. You can be the person that does the most for the church and you do the most in front of man. And he says this, you will see Jesus and you will go, look at all I have. And he will say, total loss. Total loss. Beware, believer. This is not saying they lose salvation. It means that the things that they did in heaven that they wanted to be rewarded for was a total loss. And we've got to be very careful because the Judas mentality hooked up with Jesus to get something instead of just being happy of having him. This something about Mary, something about Martha, something about Judas, there's something about you. All three of these people are in you. 
Right now, you're thinking about somebody else. Think about you. Oh, that's right, because she does sir. She, that, she does that. You. You can slip into this. You can become industrious and lose your passion for Jesus. You can do all these great things for God and not have God. You. And so tomorrow, don't rush. Sit there. Why the snow? Though our sins were scarlet, why the snow? Why the snow? Sit in the presence of your Jesus. Why? Because he's worth it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Would you all stand as we get ready to worship? Would we pour back out to Jesus? Don't think about anybody else in the room. Don't think about your hair. Don't think about your look. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus and him alone. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.